It was several weeks ago that, uh, that uh, my daughter, Rachel, and uh, her two beautiful daughters, my, my grandchildren, were, were over here visiting with us. They're from New Mexico now, or they're living in New Mexico. They're not from there, but they're living there. And so we don't get to see them all that often. So as soon as they, they come, uh, Bailey's three, she's almost four, and then Keaton is uh, eight months old, nine months old now. And so we just make a beeline for the beach every time they come. They cannot get enough of the beach. And so uh, we're down at the beach, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful day. And uh, I'm, I'm building sandcastles with, with Bailey. We're just having a great old time. But as I'm sitting there, and, and I'm, I'm enjoying my time with my granddaughter, and, and I really cherish that time, I just happen to notice, being the surfer that I am, that the waves are really good. And I'm um, playing with her, but I keep, I'm kind of distracted by these waves that are like just beautiful and, and um, just, just uh, like, hey, you know, listen, and I keep looking at those waves. And then there's that thing inside of me that says, Steve, come on, man. You know, you're a grandfather. Um, this is precious time. You don't get to see her all the time. And, and uh, so, you know, I was uh, like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then Andy walks by. Now, Andy's a, a guy that I surf with sometimes. He actually goes to our OB campus. He's got a surfboard under his hand, and he walks up, and he goes, looking pretty good, isn't it? I go, yeah, it is. He goes, let's go out. I go, well, um, I, I really can't. He goes, well, Why? And I said, well, I'm, my daughter Rachel's right here, and I got my grandkids. And he goes, oh, so you're not going to go out. <laughs> and I said, no. And then he, he says that. He goes, oh, I get it. You're adulting. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm adulting right now. But, you know, I, I, I thought about, after, about what he said, and, and I thought, it, now, if, he, this, if this had happened in my 30s, I would have gone home got the surfboard, went out, looked at Bailey and said, hey, watch Grandpa surf, you know, and I'd, I'd have been out there, but, but I thought, you know, this is the better choice, and it actually felt good. It, it actually felt good, and so we're going to talk to some degree about adulting today, which really is about change. This whole conversation we're going to have today is about how to change, and a lot of you, as we've come into, into 2019, you're saying, you know, I want to make some changes in my life. I, I, I want to do something to make myself a better person. I want to get closer to God. Now, so this has been kind of a theme verse that we've been using for several weeks. Jesus spoke these words, you'll find it in the book of John, and he says, and he speaks this reality of the world, and he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we all know that, what that's like, but he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I think sometimes we think, uh, as adults, we think adulting is kind of a drag, uh, adulting is kind of like, you know, oh, you commitments and responsibilities and paying bills and establishing the budget. But actually, it's not. It's just called maturity. It's called stepping into uh, the things that God has for us. And, and, and if you'll do that, if you'll make those choices, you'll actually begin to really, really enjoy your life in maybe a whole different kind of, kind of way. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about transformational changes. And you know where they begin? In the heart. They always begin in the heart. In fact, in, in, in Proverbs, uh, it, it says this. Uh, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The Bible says it's the wellspring of life. In fact, Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's coming out of our mouths, it's coming from this deep place, and it's called our heart, and that's kinda, it kind of defines who we are. So if we're going to make change, like significant, I'm not talking about like little cosmetic changes and stuff. I'm talking about the kind of changes that begin to really help us to become more like 
God, more Christ-like, that it begins to actually change our character, that we begin to uh, be people who adult, and, and they love doing it because they, they're growing into it. Guard your hearts. So the question is, how do we do that? That's always the big question. How do we begin to take steps towards making those transformational changes in, in our life? So we've got a great story for you today. We've been in the Old Testament uh, during this series, this series, and today we're going to talk about a little eight-year-old boy who changed everything. He literally changed everything. He was the boy who would be king. So uh, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to... Uh, somehow we got ahead there. There we go. Second Kings chapter 22. Um, and I'm going to be actually reading from the New Living Translation. I like to read from it once in a while. And while, you, while you're turning there, let me just kind of give you the, um, the setting for this. I'm going to go back to his family tree a little bit. So his name is Josiah, but I'm going to go back to uh, his, his, his uh, grandfather, whose name was Manasseh. And um, actually, I'm going to even go one back. I'm going to go back to his great-grandfather. His name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the first good king of the southern kingdom. We talked about this in several weeks. At one point, Israel divided. You had the northern kingdom. You had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had nothing but bad kings. The southern kingdom had a couple of good kings. Hezekiah was the first good king. When I say good king, he pretty much turned the hearts of the people back towards the guy, back towards Yahweh. And he, and he, he instituted the, the holidays that they had lost, the Passover and, and, the, and the celebrations of God. And, um, and he inst- brought the Sabbath back so that the entire nation of Israel, the, that, that southern part of Israel, came back to God. Well, then he has a son, and his son's name is Manasseh. Now, Manasseh would be like the poster child for bad kings. He, does, he undoes, literally, in 55, he's in for a long time as a king. For 55 years, he does everything that he can to, to, to undo everything that his dad did. So he begins to institute worship of all of the other idols and gods of all the nations around them. He was such a wicked man that the Bible says that from one part of his kingdom to the other part, there was innocent bloodshed flowing throughout all over the place. Kill people, innocent people, all over the place. At one point, because he was into the new gods of the day, he took his only son, or one of his sons, a little, little boy, and threw him into the fire to sacrifice. Now, this is a really wicked dude. He gets into witchcraft. He gets into all kinds of horrible stuff. So for 55 years, this king just turns this country, his kingdom, upside down for evil. And then he has a son. And his name is Ammon. And Ammon is just like his dad. Just horrible. But he's so intolerable, even to his own people, that at some point, you know, they put a hit out on him. And uh, probably contacted my early ancestors over in Sicily, you know. They put a hit out, and they put a contract, and, and, and he only lasts two years, and he's assassinated two years in. And this is where Josiah comes on the scene. So Josiah, we pick up his story when he's eight years old. Josiah was eight years old when he became the king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Verse 2, he did, was, he did what was right in the Lord's sight, and he followed the example of his ancestor David. Whenever it refers to David, David was always the high point of Israel. Was, was David a, a perfect man? No, not at all. But he had, the Bible says that he had a heart after God. He, he did not turn aside from doing what was right. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent 
Shaphan, now he, he's uh, actually 16 years old when this happens, and then it names a few other people. It says, to the temple of the Lord. And he told them, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money and the gatekeepers, uh, the gatekeepers and have them collect money from the people at the Lord's temple. Entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the temple's restoration. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple of the Lord. So you see, already at 16 years old, it was on his heart to say, you know what, I'm going to follow in the ways of, of, of my great-grandfather, Hezekiah. Since they're going to need to hire carpenters, builders, masons, and also have them buy the, the timber and cut the stones needed to repair the temple. So he's into temple restoration. He goes, you know what? We're, we're going to do things the right way. In verse 8, it says, Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan, and he read it. Now, this is really, really a significant moment. The Bible, as we know it today, what they had, it had been lost. Most likely, his great-grandfather, uh, or his grandfather Manasseh, had tried to destroy the Word of God. Now, this was, was serious. They, they didn't have the printing press back then, and they had scrolls. And so, from one copy to the next copy, you had to actually handwrite it. It was very expensive, and there was not a lot of scrolls out. So, basically, Manasseh, evil Manasseh, pretty much just tried to, to destroy all the Word of God, but he didn't get all of it. Somehow... This one scroll, and we think it was probably the book of Deuteronomy written by Moses, finds its way into somewhere in this restoration process. You ever, you ever been doing some sort of a renovation or maybe digging through your garage and you find something and you're like, yes! This was one of those moments because it's the word of God. I, I remember years ago, I had bought this uh, Toyota truck and it was a really nice truck. really loved this truck. And, and I, I bought it from this guy used and about uh, my third year of owning it, one day I was in a hurry to get out of this truck. And so I was sort of pushing my way out of the cab, sort of kicking underneath, you know, trying to get out as fast as I could. And this little department, this little compartment just opens up and a roll of money falls out of it. And I'm like, what? What is that? And I reached in and I grabbed it. It was all rolled. It was $200 in cash. I'm like, this is a good find. This is a good day. It really was a good day. But here, here's the thing. This is way, way this, this is way beyond that. It says, Shaphan returned to the king and reported, your officials have given the money collected to the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors of the temple. And Shaphan also said to the king, now he's speaking to uh, Hilkiah the priest, has given me a scroll. And so Shaphan read it to the king. Now, this is the first time that this king is hearing the word of the Lord. He's never heard it before. He's got some influences, some good influences in his life. He's got the priest, Hilkiah. But this is the first time he's hearing the word of God. Now look at, look at his reaction. <clears throat> when, the, when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. And then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest. And then he listed a bunch of names there, some of the people that he gave the orders to. Verse 13, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah, and ask him about the words that are written in the scroll that has been found. The Lord's anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We have not been doing what the scroll says we must do. So Hilkiah the priest went to the newest, uh, newer Manisha section of Jerusalem to consult with the, the people, the, excuse me, with the prophet Huldah. Now this is interesting because uh, in the time that, 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 he was, that, that Josiah was alive, there were some very famous prophets out there. Jer uh, Jeremiah would have been one of those prophets who actually wrote a book that made the Bible. Zephaniah was another one. 
But he doesn't go to them. He goes to a prophetess, this woman prophet, Holda, which is really interesting. I think really, really what it says is when you want to get all the information you can get and get it right, you need to go to a woman. <laughs> can I get an amen from the women out there? I mean, they just seem to know. And she said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go, tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I will destroy this city, its people, just as I stated in the scroll that you read. For my people have abandoned me, and they've worshipped pagan gods. And I'm very angry with them for everything that they have done. My anger is burning against this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek the Lord, and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message that you have heard. Verse 19, you were sorry, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate, and you tore your clothing in despair, and you wept before me in repentance. And so I've indeed heard you, says the Lord, and I will not send the promised disasters against the city until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster that I'm going to bring on this place. And so they took her message to the king. Change, dramatic change was in the wind because of a very, very young king who heard the word of God. So let's just talk about that change we're talking about, that transformational, transformational change. Where does it all begin? It always begins with humility. Now, I, I know sometimes we think, yeah, 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 I know, humility, we need, we need to be humble. And, and, but I, I, I don't think sometimes we see the value of humility. It's, it, it's maybe misunderstood. You've heard it said before that humility is not looking down at yourself. It's not having low self-esteem. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. You know, you begin to see the world the way God sees it. You begin to look outside of, of your own orbit that, that, that you're in. In uh, 2 Kings 2.11, it says this, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, look at his reaction. Tore his clothes. Now, now here, here's the thing. At this point, he's about 16 years old, and he's the king. He's got absolute power. He can do anything that he wants to do. He could have heard those words and said, ah, first of all, it's an old book. It's written a long time ago. It's irrelevant. It's not culturally you know, in tune with who we are today. I am the king. I am 16 years old. How many of you remember being 16 years old? Okay, I am the king. I can do what I want to do. Is that what he does? Boy, he, he just, the, the word of God just, just cuts it right to the heart. And he hears it and he says, wow, we, we, we need to do something about this. You know what I love about this story? is that he doesn't, I mean, there's so many different ways he could have played this. He could have played the victim card. Well, you know, my great-grandfather, my grandfather was Manasseh, and he was really evil. And then, you know, uh, my dad was really evil. And just kind of like people do sometimes, you know, uh, my dad had anger issues, I have anger issues. My mom was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. You know, everybody in my family is a thief, so, you know, I steal. And, and we play that card, he doesn't do that. He doesn't use that excuse at all. At 16 years old, he thinks, well, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to open my heart to God. I'm going to make some changes around here. The Bible says this, and this is why a proud spirit will take you down every time. That God actually, if you have a proud spirit, it says God opposes the proud. Why is God opposed to the proud? You can't learn anything if you're proud. You're not listening. All you can see is yourself. You're all about yourself. That's why God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. If we're going to make changes in our life, 
we have to humble ourselves and open our hearts, hearts to God. And we also have to settle the question of authority in our life. And, and again, for this 16-year-old king at this particular time, it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He, he didn't have to. He could have played the I'm the king card. Could have said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to make some, a few reforms around here. I don't want to be as bad as, as my dad or, or, or my grandfather. But no, he, he was all in. And that's a question that we have to settle. Have you ever thought that maybe the reason that you can't make some changes that you want to make in your life is because really when it, at the end of the day, you're still calling the shots? I mean, you give God Sunday maybe and you read the Bible some and pray some. But really, who's the authority in your life? Is it really God? Because Josiah said, he's God and I'm not. And when you and I come to that realization, Boy, it just begins to, it begins to change everything. You can actually begin to make those changes that, that you want to make. But we have to settle the question. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We also have to realize that God's instructions are not suggestions. Remember, you've probably heard this before, that when, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had the ten suggestions. No? What are they called? They're commandments, right? But how is it that sometimes, you know, we take God's commandments even beyond the ten and we kind of dumb them down a little bit. We go, well, you know, it's 2019 for crying out loud. And, uh, you know, culture has changed and times have changed. And, you know, I, 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 I agree with that, you know, these certain things that God said, but these other things, I'm not so sure about that. They've been going on forever. Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, loved the Bible except for some parts of it. He actually had scissors and he'd cut them out. You say, I don't like that part of the Bible. And I think, really, sometimes we can do that. You don't have to use scissors. We just do it by the way we live. We go, well, I agree with that. I agree with that. I don't agree with that. Friends, they're, they're commandments, okay? And, 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 and they're not suggestions. And they're not, a, they're not optional. And it goes back to who's really the Lord of your life. If he's the Lord, then we say, okay, God, even though I may not like it, maybe it's not the, the easiest thing to do, but... I'm going to do it because you said it. And I believe ultimately you have all the wisdom. You know, you know what you're doing. Boy, this... Uh, okay, here we go. Let's go back. We're having all kinds of fun with our technology here today. Here we go. One more time. There we are. According to everything written... No, and notice it says, according to everything, everything... The king didn't go, well, let's just you know, let's take a few things out. He goes, no, I want to know all of it. I am all in on this. So let me ask you this, this question. What is your strategy this year to get closer to God? Do you have one? Have you thought about it that way? Do you even hunger for God? Do you, do you desire, you say, I want to know God more? Because if you're going to make transformational changes from the heart, God's got to be involved, which means you've got to get closer to God, which begs the question, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get closer to God? There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, we, we have some books that we uh, some tools I think might be helpful to you. I'm pushing this. There we go. Um, these, these, I've read one of these books. It's called Whisper by uh, Mark Batterson. Really, really good books. How to hear God. How many would wish you could hear God a little bit better? You had to read this book. It's really good. Uh, Andy Stanley is awesome. Discovering God's Will. You had to, had to read that book. And then this last one, uh, and, I, and I love where the, I haven't read the book yet, but I know about the book. And this book is all about 
how to connect with God and hear God and experience God according to the kind of personality that you have. How many of you know that all of us, we're, we're really wired differently, and what you might connect with God on a certain way, and the next person, like, no, I don't hear God that way. So that's, that's the sacred pathways. You should check that book out as well. In, so in 2 Kings 22.13, it says, Go inquire of the Lord for me. So what we see here is a guy who's hungry for God. Again, I go back to the fact, 16 years, I love this. When I look at our youth ministry here today, and I was in youth ministry for a long time, and I see young hearts, I think, man, if we can, if we can get their hearts turned towards God now, we're going to spare them a lot of grief in the future. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, if, if they can begin to walk in the ways of God when they're 16 years old, they're going to miss so much of the stuff that is, you know, hurt some of us in our life. Go inquire the Lord for me and for all the people of Judah about what is written in the book. I love his heart. God loves that kind of a heart. Am I willing to listen to others? Am I willing to learn from others? This, this is really the, the question. Are you? Because that's, what, that's a certain kind of humility to be able to learn from other people. You know, I've learned from so many people in my life even today, I, can t- I learn from children. You can learn from children. I've learned from teenagers. Um, I have learned from people that I can't stand. Seriously. I know sometimes we write people up, I, I can't stand them. doesn't mean they don't have some wisdom. That doesn't mean there's some things you can't learn from their, their life. You've heard the expression, you know, keep your friends closer and your enemies even closer. You can learn from your enemies. You, you can learn from different cultures. A lot of you have heard the expression, the ugly American. You ever, how many have been in a different country? And there they are, the ugly Americans. You can always identify them because they're complaining about the culture of that country. Usually sitting at a table in the back corner and they're going, this food sucks and they're, I can't, these people do weird life. And they're not learning from the, I've learned from so many different cultures that God has blessed me to be able to travel a bit in my life. I've learned from them. We can learn from anyone, but are you willing to do that? See, that's, that's part of that humble thing of humbling ourselves and say, I don't know everything. Maybe they know a few things in Costa Rica that I don't know. Or in some other country that you go, Australia, even the Aussies. You can learn a few things from those people. Am I willing to learn from other people? And do I have a teachable spirit? Are you teachable? You know, as a pastor through the years, I've, I've um, hired a lot of people on staff. And... We have that interview time, and I'm sitting down and asking them questions, getting their background, all the things that you would expect. But, but there's one thing that I'm always looking for. Is this person teachable? And when I discover, and it doesn't take too long to sort of figure it out, that they think they know it all, they're never going to get hired by me. Some of you, you are employers. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, no, this is a know-it-all. can't teach this person anything. God wants us to have a teachable spirit, and that's how you change. Say, okay, God, I, I haven't got it all together, and, and there's, there's more to learn. No matter how old or young you are, there's always more to learn. Do I have a teachable spirit? <laughs> and then we've got to practice obeying. Now, sooner than later, by the way. This is a, so, so the first thing is being humble. The second thing is, is obeying, and jo, Josiah gets right into this. I, uh, I read a, a quote by a guy that I really, really enjoy. His name is Erwin McManus. He said this, Spiritual maturity is gauged by the time it takes between when we hear God and how long it takes to obey. How long does it take? Okay, God, I hear you, and a year from now, I'll do it. Okay, God, I hear you, and I'm thinking about it. I'm toying with the idea. 
Here's, here's another thing. When it comes to God's commands, the hard things and the right things are usually the same things. How many of you discovered that? It's not always easy to, to obey the commands of God. And it was no easier for, for Josiah. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he just got right on top. He goes, okay, we're just going to go right into action. Is that the way it works in your life? When you know that there's something you ought to do, maybe God's spoken to you, the Holy Spirit's convicted of you, is that what you do? Do you get right after it? That means that if we're going to follow God, we've we got to follow him with focus, not turning to the right or, or to the left. I call San Diego, I love San Diego, by the way. This is why I live here. Of all the places I bet could have lived, this is where I wanted to be, this is where I prayed I'd be one day, and here I am, I've been here for quite a while now. But there's, there's one issue I have with San Diego. I call it the land of distractions. Because it is so awesome. We have amazing beaches, we have amazing you know, amusement parks, and everything that you could think of here. It's easy to lose your focus, especially as it, as it pertains to following God. So let me ask you a question. What is it that causes you to lose your focus? Is it, is it the good times? Like times get so good that God just, just kind of gets left in the dust? Is it the bad times? Things are going so bad, you get angry at God and you just go lose your focus? Is it a group of people? And in, if you're really honest with yourself, you say, you know, when I hang out with those people or that person, I lose my focus. My mother used to say, birds of a feather flock together. If you're hanging out with people and they're distracting you to the extent that you're losing your focus with God, you've got to rethink that one. Now I have to make some tough choices. What is it? that keeps you from focusing on, on God. And if you know what it is, what are you, what are you going to do about it? Here's a, here's a great book um, by uh, Eugene Peterson, who also wrote the Message Bible. Uh, and I love, the reason I, I got it is because I love the title. The title says, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A long, that's, that's, that's a picture of our life following Christ. A Long Obedience. In, in, in the same direction. And really what it's about, it's about, so if we're going to make changes, it's about building momentum one step at a time. One step at a time. A lot of times we, we have these lofty goals and we go, 2019, and we get all ambitious about something, and then it's just huge, this huge leap that we're going to take, and then about, you know, 19 days into it, or, you know, maybe, might even make it to six weeks, we're like, oh, I'm just so over it, man. I thought I was going to do it. How about, how about if there's just these, these like 1% goals, you put it that way, where we just build momentum a little bit at a time. Here's what it looks like for my life. So in my 30s, I'll just use my 30s as an example. So I, I'm married with children. And at that time, I thought I was doing, you know, between me and God and me as a, as a husband, as a dad, I thought I was doing pretty good. And then now, all these years later, 30 years later, I'm looking back on that, and I'm going, I was not that good. As a matter of fact, I was, I was kind of selfish. I was kind of self-centered. And, um, I wasn't that good of a husband. I wasn't as caring as I should have been. I wasn't as nice as I should have been. I wasn't the kind of dad that I wish I had been. Now, I, I say that, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed of what I was back then. You know why? Because I only knew what I knew. You can only deal. So God's not going to... You know, a lot of you right now, you're in a certain place right now. Now, you're going to make changes. Hopefully, you'll make changes. And then a decade from now, you're going to look back and you're going to go, wow, I made some progress. And I look back at what the way I used to be, and you're like, 
yeah, you know, it wasn't real good, but God's not judging you for that. He's just saying, look, here's, where are you right now? And I want to move you forward. Let's, let's make some progress this year. And sometimes it, it comes in, in, in small steps. And it happens over a year. And then it happens over a decade. And then it happens over three decades, as it has in my life. Now, here's the thing. I have not arrived by any means. You can ask my wife about that, okay? She'll tell you, my husband is so much better than he used to be. But I haven't arrived. We're still, still working on it. You just build one, one step at a time. Look what happens in the life of Josiah. So uh, he's 16 years old, and first of all, he really becomes aware of the Word of God. And, and this is the first, first indicator that he's really, really moving towards transformation and change in his own life. And then at age 20, he begins to, to purge Judah and Jerusalem to these high places, <coughs> all, all the horrible things that his dad and his grandfather had done. He begins to get rid of the idols. He begins to bring back the Passover and, and worship of, of the holidays that the Jewish people had back then. Um, and he begins to, to bring back the Word of God. He actually has it read to the people. And then at age 26 was really young still you think about it he begins to repair the temple of the lord incremental changes i i i read something the other day that um i think really um supports this so um i don't know if you've ever heard of a book it called it's called atomic habits anybody ever read this book atomic habits by a guy named uh, james clear wrote the book and and so he talks about uh cycling as an example so he, he, let me tell you some stuff you may not know um, back in, from 1908 to 2003 in England, the English were horrible cyclists. And they'd had one gold medal in over 100 years one in the Olympics. That's all they had. So in, in the year 2003, they, they hired this guy, Dave Brailsford, to be a coach. And he believes in the power of 1%. That's what he called it. And so what he begins to do, to do is, he says, what well, guys... The team, what we're going to do is we're going to make little changes, but we're going to make a lot of them. And so he changes the seat so it's a little bit more comfortable for the cyclist. He begins to change the, the, the attire that they wear. He begins to change their health habits, just little changes everywhere he goes. He begins to change a little bit of their conditioning, begin to make some changes on the bike. Over and over, he makes all these changes, and it doesn't seem like much, just little tiny changes. Well, they go to the Olympics uh, in, in, in uh, the year... 2008, and so this is five years later, so five years have gone by, and they take 60% of the gold medals in Beijing. 60% of the gold medals. Fast forward four more years, and now they're having the Olympics in London, and they set uh, nine Olympic records, seven world records, and just clear the table with gold. But there is one thing that they hadn't done, and everybody knows in the pinnacle of cycling is the Tour de France. And there never had been anybody from England that won the Tour de France. But then, in a span of six years, they won it five times. That's a lot. But how did it happen? One percent. One percent. So let me, let me ask you this question. What is, what is your one percent today? You're sitting here today and you're saying, yeah, man, I, there's a lot of things I want to do, but what can you, what's a one percent chance to today and then next week and then next month? And as you begin to make these little 1% changes in your life, you're going to begin to add up. And your heart's going to begin to change. And transformation will take place in your life. James says it this way, don't merely listen to the words and deceive yourself. You've got to do something. 
Okay, you, we, have to, we have to do something. And, and, and don't get all crazy and go, yeah, make these wild changes. I mean, you know, if you're, three, if you're drinking three quarts of vodka every day, yeah, make a change real quick, okay? But, but I'm just talking about this, where we, something we can settle into and say, I, I think I could do that. I think that's reasonable. I, I, I can do that. That's what James is talking about. Have you noticed that there's a difference between God's ideal and his standard and our real? And I'm keeping it real right now. All right. Because it is. I mean, look at None of us has arrived. In all the years I've been following Christ, I've been following Christ for a long time. I'm making progress, but I still have not hit the ideal. I, haven't hit, I don't hit it on the mark every time, and neither do you. But here's the beauty of it. That if we just keep moving forward and we're humble about it, they got it. I, I want it. I'm a learner. I, I'm a disciple. By the way, disciple actually means a student. It means one who learns. Then we're going to make progress. And that's, uh, God wants us to make progress in our life, move forward. And the only way that you're going to have a responsive heart, because this is the third thing, is when we humble our hearts and we have obedient hearts. Say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to do what you asked me to do. This is what God spoke through the prophet to, to Josiah. He says, because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring. In other words, young man, Josiah, I saw your heart, and I'm going to bless you. You did it the way that I wanted you to do it. You humbled yourself. You were responsive, and now I'm going to bless your life. That's what God is still saying to you today. He says, you'll humble yourself. You realize you don't have it all together. I think most of us realize that. But if we'll respond, if we'll say, okay, God, I'm going to... Do what you ask me to do. Just, I'm going I'm to bless your life. A responsive heart is open to the ways of God. Are you? Well, yeah. 90%. No, but are you really open to all of the ways of God? So you say, okay, okay, God. I mean, I always agree with everything. I may not always like everything, but, 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 but I'm open to what you want me to do in, in life. Now, here, here's why this is so important. Look what happens. In... in, in uh, Chapter 23, verse 25, says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned the Lord as he, to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with the laws of Moses. So why was that so important? Because one young man at around 16 years old says, You know what? I'm not going to be like my grandfather. I'm not going to be like my father. I'm going to make a choice that's going to transform my life. But it doesn't just transform his life. It affects the entire kingdom that he's a part of. Why is that so important? Because those little choices that you make, maybe the 1%, and they keep adding up all the people that are in your area of influence, your, your sphere of influence, all those people are going to be affected by you. Stop the family curse. If alcoholism or drug addiction or gambling to the point where your family's impoverished is something that you come from, okay, that's what they did. You don't have to do that. You can be like a Josiah who says, it stopped here. And I'm starting something new, and an entire, everybody around you is impacted by it. Your kids, your family, your friends. That's why that's so, so important. That's why the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking around, folks. He's going, San Diego, Pacific Beach, all around. Because I'm looking for people that have a heart for me. Because those are the people that can make not only changes within themselves, 
but they'll affect everybody around them. That, that's what God wants to do. So I ask you this, what, what is the state of your heart today? Really, that's what we're talking about. You want to change? What's going on inside of here? What's going on inside of your heart? I leave you with this verse. Ezekiel 36, 26. And the prophet said, I will give you, God speaking through him, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you, this is really interesting that he says that, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know what gives you a heart of stone? When you don't humble yourself. When you don't listen to God. When you're not obedient. When month after month and year after year goes by and you go, yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I'm cool, but you know, that part, I'm not into that. And what happens is you get a stony heart. And one day, you really don't hear God anymore. You're, you're one of those people who goes, yeah, I don't know, I just, it seems like God doesn't speak to me anymore. Well, you've got a stony heart. What, a, what is it for you today? Is your heart open? Is it tender? God wants to give you a heart of flesh, which means a, a tender heart. So close your eyes with me, if you would. If you're here today, and, and you realize that your heart is not in the right place. You know, you, know, you, you want to know God, and you want to make progress, and just so far, it just seems like you're not getting there. And, and, and today is the day you want to just commit fully. You, you say, I want to be like Josiah. I want, to, I want to be all in. I want to humble myself. I want to be obedient. I haven't, haven't done so well in those areas. And if that's you today, I'd like you just to respond to God. However that looks like for you. Whatever decisions you need to make. Just, just for a moment, think about what, what is the 1% for you today? That one change. Maybe it's more than 1%, but what is that, that change that you can make today that will begin the process of transforming your life and your heart? What would that be? What would that be? And if you're going to make that change, here's what I want you to do. Sometimes something physical represents something internal and spiritual. Just raise your hand. And I'm going to conclude in prayer. Just say, okay, I'm, okay, good. Anybody else? Yeah? Yeah? All right. Anybody else? All right. Good? Good? Yeah, okay. Father, we thank you for the inspiration of the story of a young man who really didn't have to do any of the things that he did. He could have just lived life on his terms. He could have called the shots. But he chose to follow you with all of his heart. And because he did, an entire kingdom was impacted for good. Lord, I think all of us in our heart of hearts, we want to be good, we want to do good. We want to influence in the right way. But some of us acknowledge that that means change. Change is difficult. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve today. In this moment, especially for those that have raised their hands and said, yeah, I realize I want to change and there's something in my heart that needs attention. That God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to every heart that calls out to you today. Bring change where it needs to change, God. Give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.